We're going to come around the Word this morning and uh, we're going to open up our Bibles to the book of Numbers, every accountant's favourite book. Do you, Aaron, do you like the book of Numbers? It's great. It's a good book. Numbers chapter 20, starting in verse 1. I didn't pre-warn you guys for that, so if it comes on the screen, that's because you guys are awesome, not because I'm in any way prepared. Numbers chapter 20, verse, uh, starting in verse 1, it says, Then the children of Israel, the whole congregation, came into the wilderness of Zin in the first month, and the people stayed in Kadesh, and Miriam died there. Miriam is Moses' sister, and she was buried there. Now there was no water for the congregation, so they gathered together against Moses and Aaron. You know, my children gather against me all the time. Uh, when we're talking about trying to get them to eat their vegetables and all they want to get is their desserts, my children gather against me and, uh, and come against me. But you know what? We are victorious and they eat their vegetables. And the people contended with Moses and spoke, saying, If only we had died when our brother, brethren died before the Lord. Why have you brought up the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness that we and our animals should die here? And why have you made us come out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? It's not a place of grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, nor is there any water to drink. So Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the door of the tabernacle of meeting, and they fell on their faces, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the rod... You and your brother Aaron gather the congregation together. When we're talking about gathering the congregation together, that's millions of people, right? Like that's bringing together. It's not, it's not something that would happen all the time. Most of the time, the Israelites were spread out in that big area that they would camp on. They'd be doing their own thing. Families would have their own area. But every now and then they'd bring the whole congregation together. Uh, bring the, gather the congregation together. Speak to the rock before their eyes, and it will yield its water. Thus you shall bring water for them out of the rock and give drink to the congregation and their animals. So Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he commanded, and Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly before the rock, and he said to them, Hear now, you rebels. Moses is having a bad day. He's not very interested in having a nice, peaceful conversation with the children of Israel. Hear now, you rebels. That's what I say to the kids when they don't eat their vegetables. Here now, you rebels, eat your broccoli. Must we bring water from you out of this rock? Now, it's interesting to note that Moses doesn't say, must God bring water for you out of this rock? Moses says, must we, me and Aaron, must we bring you water out of this rock? Then Moses lifted his hand and he struck the rock twice with his rod and water came out abundantly and the congregation and their animals Drank. You see, Moses, God had said to Moses quite clearly a couple of verses earlier that he was to speak to the rock. But it was, it was at the beginning of their, their journey in the wilderness when there was no water a previous time that God had commanded them and Moses to hit the rock. So Moses didn't speak to the rock as was commanded. He struck the rock. But water came out abundantly and the congregation and their animals drank. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, because you did not believe me to hallow me in their eyes of the children of Israel. Therefore, you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given to them. This was the water 
of Meribah because the children of Israel contended with the Lord and he was hallowed among them. Now this is set in the 40th year of the wandering, at the beginning of the 40th year of the wandering of the children of Israel. So they'd escaped Egypt, uh, the generation that escaped Egypt, and they'd been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years and they'd come to this place called Kadesh. Kadesh is right at the bottom, the southern border of current uh, modern day Israel, but on the boundaries of the promised land. They were right on the boundary of the promised land. Kadesh was the place that the children of Israel went to once they left Egypt and they got to this place, Kadesh, right on the boundary of the promised land and they sent 12 spies into the promised land to scout the land and to, to see what was happening there. And they came back and 10 spies gave a bad report. Two spies gave a great report, Caleb and Joshua. We know the story, but the, the children of Israel believed the bad report and it was at Kadesh that they were then destined to wander the wilderness for 40 years until that generation passed away. You know, I can understand Moses being a little bit tentative about being back at Kadesh. You know, the memories of Kadesh and that, that moment that probably lives large in his mind as he's back there at that same place, reliving the conversations, reliving, you know, Caleb giving his report on the land and the 10 spies giving their report on the land, reliving what God had told him as a result of the children's disobedience. <clears throat> but not only was Kadesh there, but it was at Kadesh that we read Moses' sister Miriam passed away. You know, Miriam was the one that watched over Moses as he floated down the Nile and was taken up by Pharaoh's daughter. Miriam was the one that linked Pharaoh's daughter with Moses' mum, who would then become his nurse. And it was Miriam who was one of the people that carried the leadership of the children of Israel alongside Moses and Aaron and operated in the gift of a prophet. You know, in terms of people passing away, Miriam was a pretty big deal. You know, I can imagine Moses thinking about what happened there. He's just lost his sister. And you know, that's a bad day. That's a bad day for Moses. I remember for, my, for, for, for me, we, um, I was driving here one, one, one week just before Christmas and I had to pull into Burnside Village. I was going down Portrush Road and I pulled in to turn right and there was a delivery truck sitting in front of me and he decided that he didn't want to turn right. He actually wanted to go keep going up Portrush Road. But to get up Portrush Road, he had to reverse and in doing so, reverse into my car. Um, and so that was fantastic. Uh, in the height of Christmas, it was all crazy. And so we got out and we had words. And uh, anyway, the front of our car had a massive dent in it. It was polite words, like, you know, <laughs> I know what you're thinking. You know, we got into a dust up on Portrush Road and... Uh, <laughs> Believe me, if I got into a fight, it wouldn't end well for me. I've got soft pastor's hands. I'm not a fighter. Uh, so we're um, so this guy reverses into me and then it takes three months for the insurance claim to go through. We finally get our insurance claim in and, and we get to the crash repairs and Sarah's car, the car that I was in, had to be in the crash repairs for a week. So we're down to one car and then, God bless you, and then... Uh, we're driving around in one car and so it gets to Monday morning and Monday morning we're picking up Sarah's car uh, but then it got delayed by another day and then Monday morning I had to rush. Everyone had to rush and get ready because I had to drop the kids at school 
then drop Sarah at the Lyle McEwen Hospital and then get up here for Nature Playgroup. And it was like, just go. It was go, go, go. And I'm fighting Amelia, put your shoes on. I'm fighting Isla. No, Isla's perfect. It's okay. <laughs> fighting Amelia, put your uniform on. Fighting Isla. No, Isla's perfect. Uh, she's okay. You know, I'm, we're getting ready. I'm like, Sarah, we got to go. We get in the car and we drop the kids and then we get to the Lyle McEwen Hospital. We're down to one car and then um, I find out that we're not going to be able to pick Sarah's car up till the next day. So then I've got to boost from the Lyle McEwen Hospital through the back to here and we're driving, driving through Ledswood and I heard a loud bang and my steering went like this. I went like this, <laughs> fixed my hair and then uh, pulled over to the side of the road and my front driver's side tyre was at an angle that it should not be. It was at 45 degrees and I'm sitting there just outside of Lenswood and I'm thinking, this is fantastic. And now we're down to zero cars. <laughs> had two cars two weeks ago, now we're down to zero cars. I've got no idea how anything's going to happen. You know, that was a bad day. I had to ring... Lisa and say, I'm not going to be able to make it to Nature Playgroup. Had to ring RAA, sit in my car for like three hours, try not to get killed by any trucks barreling down whatever that road is. You know, that was a bad day. And then I remember just trying to think, how am I going to be able to pick the kids up from school? And it just happened that Sarah's car was ready. I got the kids. But you know, there are some places and sometimes that it's just a bad day and that's okay. And Kadesh is one of those places that is memorable for the children of Israel and it's memorable for Moses and it's got all sorts of bad connotations around it. The children of Israel, when they left Egypt, that was their final trial and their final, uh, final judgment. As they left Egypt and they complained and they grumbled and they got to Kadesh, they sent the 12 spies in and it was at that point that, that they were found lacking and they were found wanting and they were sent to wander the wilderness and they wandered the wilderness for 40 years and a new generation arose. A new generation arose. The old generation passed away and they come back to Kadesh on the edge of the promised land and a new generation has arisen and they get there and there's a challenge, just like there was a challenge to the first generation and the second generation get faced with the same challenge. And what is their response? What's the response of the children of Israel? And I like to think, that I would be so holy and so fantastic and I would have had full of faith and I would have gone over and just grabbed a couple of rocks and started drinking from them. But I imagine that my response would have been the exact same response of the children of Israel. Why have you brought us to this place to kill us? It would have been better for us to be in Egypt. This new generation wasn't even born into slavery and yet they're still facing the same test and the same trial They've been hearing about this land for 400 years in slavery. They've heard about all the greatness of the promised land. They've heard of all the great stories. They've walked the wilderness for 40 years and seen all the miracles. They've seen quail in the morning, at night, manna in the morning. They've seen the pillar of fire, the pillar of cloud. They've seen the, gold, the tablets, the golden calf. They've seen the whole thing. Yet they still get to this place at Kadesh and they still find themselves lacking the faith that they need. When this new generation finds themselves at the edge of the promised land once again at the very same spot that their parents and the previous generation had failed their final trial 40 years earlier, they find themselves in their own trial. 
You know, when we fail a test, God brings us back around the mountain and we have to face that test again until we pass it. I remember learning to drive and my driving instructor was um, was a, a grumpy old man. It was my dad. And so, no, my dad was actually a really good driving instructor and he did such a great job. But I remember, you know, learning how to do a hill start. We had a 1995 Magna station wagon executive um, because we were executive people. So we had a Magna 95 <laughs> manual executive. And Sejuna is not known for its hills. Uh, it's not known as the hilliest of places. And we had to learn how to do a hill start. So to help me learn how to do a hill start, I didn't know what was happening at the time, but we drove down to the boat ramp in Thevenard. Uh, they call it the slip. And so, because it's slippery. And uh, we drive down to the boat ramp and then Dad says, just pull down the boat ramp towards the water. So I drive down a little bit. And he says, no, keep going. Just keep going. Just keep going. So I'm driving my dad's 1995 Mitsubishi Magna Executive Station Wagon Blue. And uh, we drive right down so that the water is lapping the wheels of the tyres. And he says, all right, pull the handbrake on, put it in gear and turn the engine off. And so I said, OK, uh, I don't know what's going on here. And he says, well, now you're going to do a reverse hill start. I've never done a hill start in my life. We're going to do a reverse hill start. And by the way, if you don't do it properly, we're swimming home. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, uh, so, I, so he talks me through it. I've got my foot on the accelerator. The poor car's screaming, <laughs> slowly lower, the, lift my foot off the clutch. And that's how you learn how to do a hill start. There's no opportunity for failure. There wasn't no going around that mountain again because if I had to, if I did fail, there wouldn't be an opportunity to do a second time. We only had one car. Not like uh, Sarah and I, we're a bit bougie. We got two cars. So there you go. Uh, so that's how I learned to do a hill start. There's no opportunity for second goes. There's not, no opportunity for failure. But when we, when we come up against a trial and we come up against a test in the Spirit, God quite often brings us back around and gives us another opportunity to pass that test. But the, the thing is that blows my mind with this is that the children of Israel, they don't pass the test. They grumble when they complain, just like they always have. Moses doesn't pass the test. Uh, you know, Moses strikes the rock instead of speaking to the rock. And it was at that moment that Moses' destiny was changed and he didn't enter into the promised land. You know, despite the failings of the children of Israel, despite the failings of Moses, despite the, the weather, despite the desert, despite everything that was going on at that time, despite the fact that Moses struck the rock and he didn't do what God asked him and, and, and speak to the rock, that rock still poured out water. The grace of God and the favour of God will blow my mind every single time. Despite my failings, Despite the things that I've done wrong in life, despite the circumstances that are around me, despite what's going on in the world today, what's going in in my finances, what's going on in my job, God will still bless you. God will still bring favour and blessing into your life. You know, we put these parameters around God that says the circumstances are too hard. I've done too much wrong. I haven't lived the right way. God can't bless me. God can't bring favour into my life. God can't do miracles when God says, well, just try me. I'm not God if I'm not God. We can't place limitations and boundaries on God into the miraculous. Yeah. 
And this morning we're going to look at three keys to getting a miracle in the desert. And the first key today is number one, we have to go to the rock. Numbers 20, verse 7 and 8, and this is Moses is laid down prostrate before the Lord and God says to him, You and Aaron must take the staff and assemble at the entire community as the people watch and speak to the rock. You know, the rock is a type or a foreshadowing of Christ. What does God send? He sends Moses to the rock. You know, in our lives and in, our, in, our, in, our, in, our, in, in, in the operation that we do we, every day, day in and day out, you know, we can get busy and we can get distracted and we can look at things in the natural, but the miracle isn't found in our own provision. The miracle isn't found in what we would think it look nat- looks naturally. You know, Moses would have looked at the rock and the children of Israel would have looked at the rock and thought, water from a stone? You're kidding. Like that makes no sense. It makes no sense that there'll be water in a rock. You know, so often God sends us uh, people and they send, He sends us places and He sends us things and we think there's surely there's no miracle in that. But what God sends and where God sends us, the miracle is going to be there. The, the provision is going to be there. You know, this rock, the rock is the foreshadowing or the type of Christ. And I stand here this morning and I stand here every Sunday and I say, if you've got a problem, you've got to go to Christ. If you're suffering from anxiety or depression or you've got worry in your life, then you need to go to Jesus. If you need healing or if you need salvation, then you've got to go to Jesus. When we find ourselves in a dry season, a season of lack, a season of tiredness or of shame or of humiliation, when we find ourselves lost, lonely and afraid, we go to the rock. We go to the rock of our salvation, the stone that the builders rejected. We go to the mountains and the mountains... Stand by me. Anyone else know that song or just Luke? You know, when all around is sinking sand, on Christ the solid rock, I stand. You know, we go to the rock and it's the message that I'll proclaim from the mountaintops until the day that I die. If you come to me and you say, I've got a problem with my marriage or with my family, you have to be on the rock. Your marriage needs to be built on the rock. Your marriage needs to be built on Christ. Your parenting needs to be built on the rock. Your your character, your integrity, who you are as a person needs to be built on the rock, on the firm foundation. Why do I keep saying it over and over? Because it's the only Gospel that I know. It's the only answer that I have to give you. The only answer that I have to the world's ills and the things that are going on in the world is Jesus. There's no other name that you can be saved, no other program, no other 10-point step or whatever it is that you want to do. The answer is Jesus. You know, growing up, whenever the kids came to me with a sore stomach, the answer is, always has been and always will be parents. You know the answer, if your kid comes to you with a sore stomach, you've got to go to the toilet. The answer always has been and will be always the same thing. If my kids come to me and they've got a headache, it's drink some water. I have no other answers. That's my limited parenting toolkit. Thank you for that. You can take notes and you can pay me after the service for that great parenting seminar. I have no other answers. And it's the same with life. I don't know the answer to climate change. I don't know the answer to global warming. I don't know the answer to COVID-19 and all of the great things that the world ills us with. But what I know is that we need to find the answer in Jesus. 
Our answer is not found in our identity. Your answer is not found in your place of employment. Your answer isn't found in the person that pays your bills. The answer is found in Jesus. He is the only answer that I have. And throughout eternity, through the millennia of, of the church's existence, the answer always has been and the answer always will be Jesus. He is the rock of our salvation. He said to me, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. You know, if your car is running rough, you go to a mechanic. You know, I can't give you any answers. If you come to me, if your car's rough, if you came to me and said there's a a rattling in the engine or it's leaking oil, you know, I wouldn't tell you to take your car to the ER, Uh, especially not with the ramping crisis that we're currently facing. I'm sure if you pulled up and asked the doctor to look at your car, they would be disappointed in you. You know, I wouldn't tell you to take your car to the vet. I wouldn't tell you to take your car to Hillbilly's Chicken unless I'm in it and you're taking me there to get a hot dog and chips. I wouldn't tell you to take your car with a rattly engine and a leaking oil. I wouldn't tell you to take it anywhere else except to take it to the mechanic. Every problem, every care, every concern, every anxiety, every worry that you have, the answer today is Jesus. Your answer can't be found anywhere else outside of Him. Your answer is found in Jesus. It's only Jesus. Only He can save you. Only He can heal you. Only He can replace your heart of stone with a heart of flesh. Our first point today, to see a miracle in the desert, we have to go to the rock. Whatever it is that you're going through at the moment, whatever trial or tribulation you may be facing, go to the rock. Go to Jesus. It's only in Him that you will find the answer that you're looking for. Three keys to a miracle in the desert. First, we've got to go to the rock. Secondly, we've got to drink the water. Numbers 20, verse 7. God tells Moses to assemble the community and as the people watch, speak to the rock over there and it will pour out its water and you'll provide enough water from the rock to satisfy the whole community. Millions of people. Like, that's a lot of people. If you went to the River Torrens, I don't think that many people could drink from the River Torrens. And there would be a lot of people with gastro probably (laughs) that night. That's a lot of people to get water from. But not only does he say you'll feed the the entire community, will have drink, but all their livestock, all their herds, all their cattle, all their sheep. There wasn't just enough water for them to fill up a little, a little, uh, you know, steel pouch that you'd take if you're going with Emily and going bouldering, you know, or if you're going hiking. You know, it wasn't just enough for that. It was more than enough. It was more than enough water to, to feed the entire community, the millions of people. The water came out of that rock. Not only was it enough to feed the community, but the cattle, the sheep, the chickens, the goats, the pet rabbits, Whatever it is that you have in your life, there is more than enough. God is a God of more than enough. He is El Shaddai. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. The streets in heaven are paved with gold. You know, we look at uh, the blessing and the favour of heaven and we look and we say, here's my little pocket. Can you just fill enough for me to get through this week? Can I get enough anointing just for me to be able to make it through this week? Can I get enough of your blessing and your peace and your love just to get me through this week, just so I can get to next Sunday? Can I have just enough blessing and favour to pay for this 
bill that I've got? Can I have just enough? Just enough. We are people that think in terms of just enough, but God is a God of more than enough. He's not interested in giving you just enough for one week. He wants to fill you up to overflowing. He wants to fill you up so that you don't have to uh, worry about where the next dose is coming from. The Holy Spirit isn't someone who is a, a God of just enough. You know, if I was driving from here back to Sejuna where I grew up and where my parents still live, you know, if I was driving back to Sejuna, I wouldn't leave Adelaide with a quarter of a tank and think I'll just get to the next town and maybe put $10 in there, uh, which is about half a litre at today's prices. And when I leave Adelaide, I fill up. I'm completely full. I know that it's about uh, just under 300 kilometres to Port Augusta. I know that's only about a third or a half of a tank. But I still go with a full tank. And the reason being is because I don't know what might happen. I don't know about the unexpected delays. I don't know if I might be caught. There might be roadworks. There might be other things happening. So I'm always going to make sure that when I travel long distance, I have more than enough. You know, so many times people have left Port Augusta and it's about four hours from Port Augusta to Sejuna and they've got half a tank. And they get halfway across and it's late at night and all these little service stations and all these little towns, they all close down uh, at about nine o'clock at night or eight o'clock at night. And so many times people get stuck in the halfway between Sejuna and, and Port Augusta because there's no place to put petrol in. You know, we do it with our cars. We put in more than enough petrol. We carry more than enough water than we need. And God is a God of more than enough. Why would we take on just enough to make us get us through this next week? You don't know what life's going to throw at you. You know, when it comes to the presence of God, when it comes to the blessing and favour of heaven, we don't have to be measly misers. We don't have to count our pennies. We don't have to worry about, is there enough for everyone to go around? You know, there is more than enough for everyone, and we need to be selfish when the praise and worship is on. And you know, my parents had the right idea that I need to stand through praise and worship, and it was a discipline because as I'm standing and I'm praising and worshiping, I'm drinking of the rivers of heaven. As I'm praying in tongues in my own time, I'm drinking of the rivers of heaven. Why would I just do it on a Sunday? We need the waters of heaven, we need more than enough. We need to keep going back and back and back and back to the river. You know, Jesus tells the woman at the well that He is living water. He, whoever comes to Him will thirst no more. We need to go back to the source. We need to drink the water. We need to drink of the Holy Spirit. You know, we can't think in terms of just enough. We have to think in terms of more than enough. I don't serve a small God. I don't serve a God of just enough. I serve a God of more than enough. I stand here today and I am considering the faith offering and I'm praying into it and I'll be fasting this week as I believe that this will be a moment in time that will be pivotal for our church. But I don't stand here thinking, you know, God's not going to do it. That I'm going to, we're going to rock through and we're going to have to sort of, you know, maybe put contact on the walls instead of paint, you know, or, or that we're going to have to start selling Nescafe because I don't believe in a stingy God. I don't believe in a God of, just enough. I believe in a God of more than enough. And for us in our lives, we need to believe in a God of more than enough. He doesn't want you living week to week, paycheck to paycheck. God wants you to have more than enough because He is a God of more than enough. He doesn't want us running on fumes emotionally and spiritually that 
You know, we're caught out unprepared. He is a God of more than enough. Numbers 25, Jesus talks about the 10 bridesmaids. Five were wise, five were foolish. Verse 2 says, five of them were foolish and five were wise. The five who were foolish didn't take enough, enough oil for their lamps. They took just enough oil for their lamps, just enough to get them by. But the other five were wise enough to take along extra oil. When the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight they roused by the shout, look, the bridegroom is coming. It's talking about Jesus' return. Come out and meet him. All the bridesmaids got up and prepared their lamps. Then the five foolish ones asked the others, please give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. But the others replied, we don't have enough for all of us. Go to a shop and buy some for yourselves. And while they were gone to buy oil, the bridegroom came. Then those who were ready went with him into the marriage feast and the door was locked. Later, the other five bridesmaids returned. They stood outside calling, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he called back, believe me, I don't know you. So you too must keep watch for you don't know the day, the hour of my return. You know, we don't know the unexpected delays that come up to us in life. You know, if everything in our life was planned and I knew exactly when uh, my car was going to break down, when I knew exactly when problems with finances, if I knew exactly when I was going to lose a loved one, if I knew exactly when I was going to get a diagnosis, if I knew exactly, you know, we can't plan for the things in life. But all we can do is make sure that we have more than enough in our spirit so that when the unexpected does happen, we're ready to go and ready to carry on. We need to take the opportunity while the sun is out to be able to get full of the Holy Spirit. We need to seek the Holy Spirit in our own personal time. We need to seek the Holy Spirit when you're driving or when you're trying to get a moment's peace with the kids, whatever it is that you might be doing, take a moment to say, come Holy Spirit. Fall afresh on me again. Maybe you're driving in your car. Maybe it's time, and I apologise, Ryan, but maybe it's time to swap 5AA out for your worship. You know, maybe it's time to put away Elton John and Billy Joel as much as I love their songs and maybe put on a bit of Hillsong and a bit of Bethel. Maybe you can take opportunities in every moment of your life to drink of the oil of heaven and not just leave it to the 90 minutes on a Sunday, but make sure that we're topping up continually so that when the unexpected happens, we are full and we are full of oil and we are ready. Yeah. We are prepared. It's not going to catch me off guard. I'm prepared and I'm full of oil. The five foolish ones didn't anticipate the delays. They carried just enough. God isn't a God of just enough. He's a God of more than enough. Three keys to a miracle in the desert. First, we've got to go to the rock. Secondly, we have to drink the water. And lastly, we have to walk in the miracle. If we fast forward to the book of Joshua, chapter 3, verse 14, it describes the moment that the children of Israel finally set foot for the first time in the promised land. It was harvest season and the Jordan was overflowing its banks. But as soon as the feet of the priests who were carrying the ark touched the water at the river's edge, the water above that point began backing up a great distance away at a town called Adam, which is near Zarethan. 
And the water flow, that point flowed onto the Dead Sea until the riverbed was dry. Then all the people crossed over near the town of Jericho. Meanwhile, the priests who were carrying the Ark of the Lord's Covenant stood on dry ground in the middle of the riverbed as the people passed by. This is a pivotal moment in the story of the children of Israel, the entrance into the promised land. It was one that we think about, we talk about, we preach about. This is the moment that the children of Israel got their miracle. They crossed over into the promised land. They crossed, they walked in to the miracle of heaven, the provision of God, the promised land that they'd been talking about for 400 years, hearing about, uh, being told stories about. This is the moment. And quite often we look at our lives and we say, there is that moment in my life when everything will happen. All of the things that I've been praying for and all of the dreams that I've had that God's given me, there is a moment that I will do the same. I'll cross through the Jordan, the riverbed will dry up and I'll cross into the dreams and destiny of call of God on my life. But the Israelites had been walking around for 40 years experiencing miracle after miracle after miracle. You know, their miracle didn't happen when they crossed the promised land, their miracle happened when the plagues came and the river turned to blood, the frogs came, the gnats came, the boils came. You know, they were walking in miracles well before they crossed into the promised land. They were literally, birds would come down, quail would come down, enough for them to grab and eat and cook up and have a little mini roast. You know, there'd be manna in the morning just magically appear, pillar of fire, pillar of cloud, water coming from a rock. You know, the children of Israel were walking through miracles day after day after day. So often in our life as we look back on, as we look forward to all the good things that God's going to do and there's that moment, I know that moment is coming, that moment when all the, all the paths will be lined up and, and everything will be set, the I's will be dotted, the T's will be crossed, the punctuation will be perfect. That's the moment that I know I'm going to cross into the destiny and finally start walking in our miracle. But the reality is, as we look behind us, we see miracle after miracle after miracle along the way. All along, we've been walking in the miracle. For our lives, we think about who we are. And, you know, there was a moment in my life where I was saved. It's a miracle from heaven. There's a moment that I was filled with the Holy Spirit. I've been I've prayed for people and seen people healed. I have a beautiful family that I love dearly and beautiful kids, a great house. I'm walking in the miracle and blessings of heaven right now. It's not one point in the future when everything will line up because when the children of Israel crossed into the promised land, not everything was perfect. That was the moment their battles really started. And it wasn't for another 400 years until David finally subdued the Philistines and they actually took full control of the promised land. There isn't a moment in our time where there, there, there are times in our lives that are pivotal and there are places that we need to remember and there, there's memory stones that we place there in our life and in our mind that we remember. That was the day that I was baptised in the Holy Spirit. I remember at an Aboriginal outreach convention in Sejuna, Max Wiltshire praying for me. I fell on the ground. I got baptised in the Holy Spirit. I remember my granny laying over me and praying over me and prophesying into me. That was a moment in time that I will remember forever. But there are miracles all along the way. I have the miracle of beautiful children, the miracle of a beautiful wife. Things have gone wrong in my life. Not everything is perfect, but we don't focus on the perfection. We focus 
on the miracles. By God's grace, here I am standing. You know, I was young. I was dumb for a very long time. But by the grace of God, here I am. I had people praying for me. I had grandparents and parents that interceded for me. I had people that would watch over me and I would learn from. You know, we so often wait for the miracle that's going to happen in the desert. When is it going to come? But the reality is you've been walking in the miracle all along. I remember being called to to ministry at a young age and then finally going off to Bible college at 20. Did two years of Bible college at Paradise and then I left and I just automatically assumed that I would get the call up in the ministry. People would have heard how great I was, uh, the great preacher and worship leader. Yes, worship leader. Uh, look out, Luke. Uh, you know, people would have heard of my reputation in Bible college, how amazing I was. But uh, I left Bible college and I uh, didn't have, I was jobless. I was, I was, I had a home, thankfully. You know, I started grape picking for a few months and I did furniture removal for a few months. Then I ended up working at McDonald's for a little while and then I ended up working at Telstra and years go on, years go by and I remember thinking one day I'll enter into my ministry, I'll enter into my destiny everything will be done, everything will be lined up, the I's will be dotted, the T's will be crossed, the path will be straight. And I eventually did, obviously, I'm standing here before you today. You know, in my early 30s, I finally stepped into ministry, but it's at that point that I looked back on my life and I realised that those moments that I was felt I was in the valley, when I felt I was in the desert, were the moments that God was bringing the greatest miracles in my life. It was moments that God defined my character. It was moments that I had the opportunity to reach and to preach and to talk to people and share the gospel that I would never have had as a pastor. I remember working in a call centre for four years and working alongside many people who had different lifestyle choices, if you know what I mean. You know, there was one guy that I worked alongside with and he said, God hates me. I know God hates me because I'm gay. And I said, no, nah, man, God loves you. And I got to share the gospel with him. You know, I, as far as I know, he would never have heard the gospel otherwise. You know, the place of our wilderness and the place of our desert isn't a holding area for us to enter into the promised land. It's actually a place where God is doing miracle after miracle after miracle. You are in the promised land already. You're in a place of blessing and favour already. You know, we want to see miracles in the desert. I want to see, I want to see, I want to see miracles in this place. I want to see this place full. I want to want to see this place full because it's good for my ego, because every seat that's full is representing a person that's had a heart transformed by Jesus. Every seat that's full is a person that's on their way to heaven. You know, and so often we stand back and we look at the the, the past revivals that have gone on. We think of the Azusa Street revival, or we think of uh, the Toronto blessing, or we think of the great days in Clemson, and we think about the great things that happened back then. We think of, you know, and we, and we look back and we can judge the current by the former. And we think, well, when this happens, I'll know that God is moving. When this happens, when there's people lying all over the floor and there's someone rolling and laughing like a hyena, you know, God bless them if they do. But, you know, we, we look and we seek the signs of the past. When in reality, and we sit back and we judge, and, and when this happens, I'll step in. When I see that God is really moving, that's when I'll start serving. 
When I see that God is really moving, that's when I'll start giving because I don't want to give into something where God isn't. When the reality is, as we stand here today, we've seen seven people saved in this church this year. We see 120 families completely unchurched coming through our building every single week. We see a nature playgroup with hundreds of kids and mums and grandparents here on Mondays once a month. We see people coming in, getting healed, getting saved and delivered. Every single week something is happening. And if this isn't a move of God, then I don't know what is. I'm not waiting for a move of God. I'm not waiting for the promised land. I'm walking in the miracles today. And this is a journey that I invite you to come and to join me in. I'm not sitting back. I'm not passive. I'm not waiting. I'm not sitting and watching, judging and waiting. Maybe one day something will happen. But I ask you, won't you join me on this journey and on this adventure of faith? I'm not going to come to church every Sunday and just sing Kumbaya, sit on a comfy seat, drink a great coffee and go home without encountering the presence of God. I come on the edge of my seat in anticipation, knowing that God is going to do something today. I'm not waiting for a move of God. This is a move of God. Seven people saved, hundreds of families coming through this building every single week, encountering you guys as volunteers. We're seeing people healed. We're seeing people saved. This is a move of God and it's time for us to get on board. And I can't wait to see all of the good things that God is going to do in the years to come. But I'm living in the move of God right now and so are you. And I invite you to join me on this journey of faith, on this journey of the miraculous, to see miracles in the desert as we move forward in the favour and the call and the blessing of God. Do you believe it this morning, church? Won't you stand with me across this place? And if uh, fearless Luke Phelan could join me, that would be fantastic. You know, you might be facing a desert for yourself at the moment. And you might, maybe you need a miracle. Maybe you need God to do something in your life. I don't want to pray for people individually in this moment, but but I know that's all of us. Would you do me a favour, church? Would you lift your hands to heaven? Lift your hands to Jesus. Let's take a moment just to thank God for His mercies. We thank You, Father. We thank You, Lord God, that You are doing miracles in the desert. We thank You, Lord God, for every salvation. We thank You, Lord God, for every healing. We thank You, Lord God, for every family that comes through this place that doesn't know You. And we ask, Father, won't You bring them to You in Jesus' Name. We don't wait for a move of God, but we choose to be a move of God this morning. We don't wait for You to move, but we see You moving already in the trees. So Holy Spirit, we take all our plans, we take all our dreams, all our desires, all of the great things that we've thought of and schemed and thought out, And we give them back to You, Lord God. I pray for every family represented in this place and for every person within the sound of my voice. I pray for Your blessing and Your favour to be upon each and every one of them. That they would see miracles in the desert, in their everyday life, Lord God. They would see miracles of provision. They'd see miracles of breakthrough. They'd see uh, miracles of generosity, Lord God that they would see healings, Lord God, that they would see You move in their workplaces and in their families. And I pray for this house, this church revival 
City Church, Mount Barker, and we ask, oh God, for Your blessing and Your favour, and we thank You for all that You're doing, and we ask, won't You accelerate it? Won't You make it even greater, Lord God? Not for our glory, but for Your glory, Lord God. Won't You fill this place, Lord God? Not so that seats would be full, but because lives will be changed after they encounter Your presence. I thank You, Father, for all You're doing. I ask for Your blessing and Your favour. In Jesus' Name.